Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dillian. Hello and welcome once again to Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie and I like Bowie. I'm Jake and I love Dylan. Today we're taking a look at that magical year. It's the 40th anniversary of oh. this year that we did, because why not? Uh, I'd like to say that the 40th anniversary has nothing to do with anything. No, I guess it's just a year. It's just, well, yeah, it's no, just a year. It's just it a happens year. to be four years ago. Uh, I start all of our shows now, talking about the, whatever anniversary it is of whatever year we're doing. You know, why humanity feels the need for these round numbers and their, and you know why that's more important than one year or the next is, is beyond me. It's a psychological experiment mm-hmm. that has yet to end. It sounds, Jake, like you're trying to get ahead of the ball in the fact that you're turning 40 next year. Oh, and I'm going to make fun of you about it for we... two solid years until I turn 40. <laughs> hey, man, you're really over the <laughs> hill. You're really old. Because you're in your 40s, and I'm not. Yeah, that's completely yeah, arbitrary number. Maybe the two best years of my life, Jake. Looking uh, forward to it. You know, All I'm, right, but okay. we are looking at, in case you don't know what year currently is, or maybe you're listening to this in the future, right. uh, we're taking a look at 1979. We don't judge 1979. here. 1979. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, we're gonna party like it's 1979. Oh, I was... Go, I, you're not gonna make the joke. I guess I'll have to. What? Uh, Shakedown, 1979. Cool kids never had the time. On a live wire, right up off the street. You and I should be. All right, you and I should podcast. Jake? Yeah. Take it. Okay. Whatever Bowie was doing in 1979. Oh, uh, well, you you said Bowie again, so I'm gonna go. Uh, well, I'm gonna go with Dylan. I don't hear about Bowie. I don't actually <laughs> have Dylan because I know that he was preaching in self righteous in 1979. Holy so. buckets! Was he ever, man? <laughs> <laughs> was he I'm ever? Looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to hearing about David Bowie. So. Yeah, well, you're going to... They Freudian slip there, Jake. You're gonna, they all are. You're going to hear that from yourself. I, don't worry, I'll call you by my son's name or whatever several times for the rest of this mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, not on purpose, but maybe, maybe a little, just a little. Uh, so, Chaz, picture yourself. You're Bob Dylan. It's actually mm-hmm. the latter stages of the year 1978. You are on stage giving a really strangely hilarious sort of Vegas review of your back catalog. Okay. On a massive. I don't 19- really remember this, and we did 1978. We I did. Remember, I feel like I should have heard about this, but you I don't did. Know, it's you, def- you definitely did. So just listen yeah. up. I'm sure it'll come back to you. Um, as Maybe if, I took off that bit of that. As so. if in a fever dream. You took it off? Would you go on vacation? I pre recorded my segment <laughs> and just played it into the phone. <laughs> so I was like, drink a beer. Yes, tell me more. <laughs> Uh huh. <laughs> Dylan is stupid. <laughs> uh huh. Yes. Tell me more. That reminds me of Bowie. <laughs> yeah, that's all I really say on the show. So. Tell us about Bowie. I mean, Dylan. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm gonna try that for the next episode. That's how you. <clears throat> that's how you sound, bro, in real life. 
just real life. Um, anyway, right now you're Bob Dylan, and you're up there. Yep. Um, you're up there. You're just. I've been many times before. <clears> I will you be. got this big band behind you, and you're just doing your thing. You're just sort of mm. like murdering your classics in this very yeah. loungy, mm. yeah. kind of way. And Chaz, you're just in general, you're looking for something. You don't know what it is. Yeah. You, you got divorced the previous year, finally. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, this whole thing isn't working for you. You just, you're up there. And all of a sudden, Chaz, somebody throws an object onto the stage and it lands at your feet. Chaz, mm. it's, a, it's a tiny silver cross on a chain. Mm. And you pick it up and you put it in your pocket and you think nothing of it. You think, oh, well, that's just an object I picked up off the stage. Mm. And you go yep. back to your hotel room and several days later, you're just, you're feeling more down than ever. And you reach into your pocket, which I guess you haven't changed your pants, whatever. That's up to you. <laughs> And you find the silver, right. you find the silver cross, Chaz, and you become a born again Christian. That's what Bob okay. Dylan did in the latter part of 1978. Now okay. we're going to flash forward to 1979 because the tour now he was he was raised Jewish. Is that correct? Never he was raised Jewish, and he renounced. Okay. I don't know that he ever officially renounced Judaism at okay. the time, but he went when he went away to college. He you know he went away to college if you know. What I mean. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, he was an A. Wasn't super practicing. No, and he's had yeah. even even after his Christian conversion, he's had odd moments where he'll go back to Israel and wear a yarmulke and stuff like that, and get everyone okay. get get everyone kind of excited and like, what's going on here? What's he doing? Um, but turns out that's a big con, just like the rest of his life and career. <laughs> and then he releases Triplicate, and you're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> you're like, oh man, this isn't Jewish at all. This is just weird. <laughs> uh, I think it's something the Jews and the Christians can agree on. Triplicate was kind of weird. Oh, well, you know. Hey. Um, so anyway, fast forward to 1979, which is the year that we are doing. Uh, yeah, the 40th Bob Dylan the releases. He releases a live album of the 1978 tour. That's called Bob Dylan Live at the Budokan 1978. Mm. Yes. Now, Chaz, I put... 1978. <laughs> This is going to have to stop at some point. I just want you to know. Well, maybe, but not yet, Jake. Not yet. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't even rhyme with 1999 anymore. <laughs> Plus, I was doing the 1984 one from uh, The Rhythmics. Yeah. <laughs> 2019. Dun, 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 dun. That's, the, that's the year it is now. Hey, it's the uh, zeroth anniversary of 2019. Uh, hey, let's celebrate with us. <laughs> hey, let's do a reissue of some sort. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right, so Chaz, I was in the car. I was driving through the boondocks to uh, mm-hmm. for work, and I put on. I, I forced myself to put on Live at the Budokan. Now, okay. an, an interesting aside is that this was one of my first two Bob Dylan albums of all time. Seriously? Wow. How did you land on that one? Uh, because I was 14 years old. And the first thing I did was I rushed right out and I got Bob Dylan unplugged, uh, the MTV unplugged thing. <laughs> okay. And then I was like, hey. It would make some kind of sense at that time. Yeah, I kind of okay. like that. Yeah, I think it came out that year or maybe the next year. No, it was that year. Anyway, and then I rushed out and I was like, hey, I really like Bob Dylan. Let's see what's, what's cheap at Cheapo, basically. And uh-huh. there it was, Chaz, a live at Budokan <laughs> album. I don't make any excuses for myself. I was 14. I didn't know what I was doing I mean, at all. Can we just all give you a little bit of credit for getting into Bob Dylan at 14 mm-hmm. when you were born in the early 80s? You want to know what past I... His, past his prime and before any of his major, you know, really major uh, resurgences. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I feel like that deserves a look. I was, you know, 23 or something before I found 
get it away truly so. before you truly discovered him. Well, truly discovered. I was aware of him, but I don't think I bought my first David Bowie album until I was twenty three, which is kind of embarrassing. Well, now that you mentioned it, I guess it is. <laughs> Take it back. You're awful. <laughs> but my first David, my first two David Bowie albums, my first three are still my three favorite David Bowie albums. Well, that's... so I bought good. You I did. No. Well, I deserve an adult, an adult touch there, Jake, too, to really know how to do it. Right? Yeah. Well, you knew how to read, you know, reviews and and all that stuff at that point. I'm sure. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't know how to read when I was 14. I want you to know that. <laughs> That's just and a, that is embarrassing. <laughs> well, we're both embarrassed now. <laughs> Here we are. At least no one but the two of us will ever know. Oh wait. You know what? I deserve. I'll 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 accept your credit for what you said earlier, but. I also want to trade that credit in for a little bit even more credit because how did I stay a Bob Dylan fan after my second album was live at Budokan? It's so bad. (laughs) I assumed it was bad the way you were talking. You had to come out and say that it was really bad. I got the impression we were headed that direction. Well, I was going to try to... This is our 38th episode. I kind of get a feel for where you're headed. This is our 36th year of life together. You know, you got me. Uh You got me pegged. Um, Okay, you pegged. It's this is I, I'm gonna give it a before I before I get to what's actually on it I'm gonna give it a BVD award Chaz. Oh this man, is, right at the right at the bat. Here. Right at the bat, this is Bob Dylan's. Uh, whether this is a studio or live album, this is his most so bad it's good vibe album. <laughs> okay, all right, good to know. It's really it's really bizarre. He really did hire like 20 musicians and backup singers to go with him on a world tour, and uh-huh. he's doing like these. Um, He's sort of reimaginings of all of his old songs, um, and this also does not include the fact that he had just put out an album, a, a, a studio album that he didn't do any of the songs on for the world tour. So okay. he's he's looking backwards, but he's also kind of looking forwards to that that great day when he could just I guess take up residency in Las Vegas and just stay there. Good for uh, Elvis, hey, I want to give you a little, yeah. a little uh, sneak, just a foreshadowing here, Jake. Is I am giving out a BVD award much later in the episode. Yeah. So look forward to everyone home. I can't this wait. This will be a double BVD award episode. I cannot wait. May never happen before. I can't remember. We yeah. don't keep track of these kind of things. That's for the fans. That's for the fans to do. You know, we we don't have good enough fans yet to keep track of this junk for Jake, us. Jake, don't you insult huh? our fans. I'm not. Our fans are the best fans in the world. I'm saying we don't have an... How obs- dare you even talk like that? I How dare you? I'm saying we don't have a weirdly obsessive fan. That's probably good for us and okay. for humanity, right? 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 right, right, right. Fair enough. Right. Uh, okay, so... Chaz, I was driving through the country, you know, listening to the first eight songs, which is all I could get through of this album. As one does. As one does with a double live album that has like 30 tracks on it. I listened to the first eight songs before I was like, oh, I got to do something else with my life. <laughs> okay, I was, doing a little, I was doing a little imagining, a little visualizing, and um, I, this is my multiple choice question for you. Um, I, I'm going to give you five sort of visuals that I had just while I was listening to the album. It, it doesn't really have anything to do with anything. I just had these visions. And I want you to choose your favorite of the five visions that I had while I was listening to this album. Whoa, whoa, whoa okay. okay? I, I, Does this make any sense? I was apparently, no, it doesn't. All right. Say it again. Say it again. Okay. I, I'm going to pay even closer <laughs> attention this next time. You mean any attention at all? Great. I mean, any attention whatsoever. Yeah. So this is the part where you interplay with me in a hilarious and kind of off-the-cuff way, but you're not doing that. <laughs> oh, you're failing I, at this. I just, I just remember that we have to mention our amazing fans because I have, I have a fan thing for you to share with you later on, Jake. Wow, there's a lot of, lot of this. 
a lot of this is later. I know. I was getting distracted, but you'll appreciate it, Jay, because it it was an it was a nice thing I'm doing. I, it was honestly a nice thing I'm doing. You'll you'll see well, in, in time. That's very humble of you to mention the nice thing you did. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. You're so humble. Um, okay, so I was <laughs> I was humble. listening to Bob Dylan's live at Budokan in the car, and I had I had several visions, and okay, okay. I'm going to give them to you, and then you're going to pick your favorite one. This is just okay. a purely subjective test. Your favorite so one. This, that's the very best. I knew you were talking about visions. I kind of assumed I was supposed to figure out which one's the real vision and which one's the fake vision. But all oh, seemed no. kind of weird because they all seemed fake in the begin with. They are all so, fake. So, okay. I just missed the part where I was picking my favorite. Okay. That I can do. Go. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So, first, vi- first, first vision. Uh, this is a fat and sweaty and sort of like um, pirate-shirted version of Bob Dylan that looks both like Elvis Presley and Alice Cooper, who I call Elvis Cooper. <laughs> okay. okay. Can you picture right. that? That's a vision. All right. Yes, I'm also really can. Okay. That was vivid. <laughs> B. Okay, this is a hairy-chested, shirtless, wailing tenor sax guy. Okay. Okay. All right. Yep, got He's that. out there. Okay. He's out there mm-hmm. doing, doing his thing. C. Yep. A sprightly nymph man playing a wooden piccolo... Prancing through the woods. Are you onto that? Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, I got that. That doesn't quite fit with the other two, but I got it. Okay. All right. And then um, D, a very special, a very special yacht trip to a Jamaican island that is populated only by white people. <laughs> uh-huh. And okay. E, all of the above things happening simultaneously in a phasmagorum of bad music. Well, I gotta go with the last one. Use the word phasmagorum. I mean, I can't say no to that. Yeah, but okay. So if you didn't pick all of the above, which is what this album is, then uh, uh, which one would you have picked? Oh, the first one for sure. The fat for and sure. sweaty makeup, oh, yeah. makeup uh, Elvis Cooper lookalike. Elvis Cooper, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, great. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so I'll go on to say that this album, is, this live album, is very unique. The funny thing is about David Bowie is that he never got fat and sweaty. Well, Dylan wasn't fat and sweaty either. You can just picture him that way. Oh, just part. He was sweaty. He just I mean, like, he, he never got fat. No, that's too bad. I, I kind of want to see Bob Dylan and David Bowie both fat. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen now. Honestly. <laughs> Jake, don't, don't squash my dreams. I mean, you know how you know how our grandpa was always skinny. Not with that attitude, Jake. Not with that attitude. You know how our grandpa Jensen was always skinny, and he just kept getting skinnier somehow as he ate. Yeah, somehow. Yeah, I do. It's like that. you can't be any skinnier, and then boom, there he was. I think both of our guys were a little like that. was less skinny, you know. He, he was as skinny as in like 1976 when all his bones were showing. Yeah. They, <laughs> they were, got healthy after that. They were, they were <laughs> showing. Skinny. They were showing. All yeah. right. Uh, okay, so this is very unique in the Dylan Ouvoir. It's a sort of Vegas version of himself. It's like Dylan in, <laughs> Dylan in Vegas, baby. Like it never happened again. Vegas, it's kind of unbelievable to hear. He kind of does this thing uh, in these reimaginings of his old songs where he he makes them pretty unrecognizable except for the lyrics. Uh-huh. Um, he's even singing like different melody lines in them. He'll, he'll kind of choose like a, what would have been a harmony line and just sing that. And his backup that singers will awful. sing other. I mean, but, but the thing is, it, it also doesn't have the shagginess of his other live material because he actually mm-hmm. he rehearsed with all these people. And so they're very, like, very well-rehearsed versions of the songs. Okay. You know, and there's some tasty licks here and there, and the aforementioned tenor sax. So, what, how, how often did he like right before the show completely change the set list? See, I don't no think I don't think he did. 
That's that's my guess. See, this is not this is not Bob Dylan. I know. Jake. That's why it's unique in his in his uh, you know his catalog. Is he actually? Yeah. And this is why everyone thought he was gonna you know because De- Elvis died in seventy seven. So he thought. Right. People thought, well, maybe Dylan will just be the new Elvis, which blows my gourd. That's crazy. <laughs> there is no next Elvis. No, but I mean that archetype of like a a lot, you know an entertainer in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just yeah, doing yeah, the yeah. same old songs over and over and over again. Right. Um, anyway, that you know, that's what the never-ending tour sort of became. But that's another story. <laughs> but not only in Vegas. So, but not in no, all other places too. <laughs> Many other places. All right. So that's the that's kind of the first half of the year. He released a single off of that live album, which we'll give points to okay. later. That's Love Minus Zero slash No Limit. Now, Chaz comes yes. the fun part. Bob Dylan releases. After becoming a born again Christian, um, yeah. he did that by going to sort of a Hollywood actor and musician kind of born again Christian collective called the Vineyard Fellowship or the Vineyard Fellowship. This was kind of a big deal in the late seventies. He was introduced to it by T Bone Burnett and Helena Spring. T Bone, T Bone, good old T Bone Burnett. Yeah, T Bone. So it was a lot of like you know youngish. Uh, entertainers and rich people and stuff like that doing doing kind of a born again um, Christian lifestyle thing. There was a there was apocalyptic bents to it. the The world was going to end soon in this in this particular paradigm. Um, Dylan leaned heavily on the teachings of Hal Lindsey, who I'm sure you have heard of in Hal your Lindsay? in oh, your sorry. theological <laughs> things. Uh, sure. I mean, sure. he's a latter day theologian uh bob dylan started earlier in the year he started changing the lyrics from some of his existing songs in concert with and kind of interchanging them with bible verses uh so he kind of add that in and everyone was like what's going on but they thought you know he always quoted the bible anyway so maybe that was just something he was doing um when he decided to record his next album he the first person he called i guess was mark knopfler of the dire straits we, did he, did he ever, yeah, he did for uh, Infidels. Yes, Mark right? Knopfler came, right? right? Came, yeah, you got it, man. You got it. Hey. So he came back for Infidels. Because he, he asked David Bowie and David Bowie said no. Right. Yeah, you got That's that. That's important connection, Jake. I can't believe he said stuff. no. Why did he say no, Chaz? I don't know. That would have been Come awesome. on. That's so bad. That's so awesome in the same chat. So bad. so close to working together so many times and it just never happened. So badly awesome. Uh, Mark Knopfler did not know that Dylan, or nobody really, from the recording sessions knew that Bob Dylan was a born-again Christian until he showed up at the studio and he started proselytizing to them and trying to convert them on the spot. Uh, Jerry Wexler... How'd they they go for it? It didn't go very well. Although I think people were more bewildered than angry. They were like, wait, Bob... (laughs) Wait, Bob Dylan? Wait, are Bob, you are you Bob, joking? Are you ki- are you kidding me? Is this a joke? What are, you, what are, you doing? are there cameras? Is this like what one of those? Is this like an early version of Punked, starring Ashton really Kutcher? Uh, Bob, yeah. hey Bob, can we just make an album? Can we just do that? <laughs> oh, the <laughs> thing is, you want you want those? No. The, th- no, the thing is, you didn't have to. You didn't have to give up the drugs, and you didn't have to give up the sex or any of that stuff in this in this paradigm. So he wasn't like. Uh, straight edge. He was more like, the world is ending anyway. You better get with Jesus before it does. Let's just do whatever we want. That kind of thing. That doesn't really make sense. But okay, yeah. It doesn't. It did. Doesn't feel feel particularly (laughs) theologically sound to me. But okay. It did to Bob. It did to Bob. (laughs) 
and he enlisted Jerry Wexler, who was the legendary producer at the time, a soul um, and R&B producer who um, worked with the Muscle Shoals Band down in Alabama. Uh, he produced Aretha Franklin, Dusty Springfield, Wilson Pickett, and scores of others. Scores now, of others. Scores of others. Now, by 1979, soul and R&B had kind of like curdled into like a funky, slick, soul-ish. Disco. It wasn't disco, but it was, you know, it was that slick. It was like really overproduced and stuff like that. So that's what uh, Bob Dylan's 1979 studio album, Slow Train Coming, ended up sounding like. Slow Train Coming. Mixed with the kind of lyrics that like the the born-again Christian, like the person who, who just takes Jesus might write, you know, kind of simplistic, kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, it hadn't thought it through very much, didn't have really um, a sort of cognitive element in it. It's all you just at least like had the decency to uh, steal some vocals from like some, you know, old like gospel singers, or you know, I don't think so. I think, I think of like Washington Phillips or some guy like that. I love Washington Phillips. Oh no, see that that that's what Dylan did earlier in his career, and then again later, as he would kind of he would kind of take from that. See, this seems like a great period to steal some of that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Some of those field recordings in the uh, yeah the outsider type, you know. Yeah, and he you know was, what I'm saying? He was you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the songs just aren't the songs just aren't very good. You know, they're not very. Uh, you did a bad album, Bob. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't call it bad. I would call it kind of middle of the road. And okay. you know, the, the departure. Everyone, of course, you know, half of his fan base was outraged that he would do this after being a countercultural force for so many years. But he also gained this, like, sort of really weird, fervent, uh, born-again Christian uh, fan base. Like, they'd show up at his concerts with, like, signs and, like, he is coming and, you know, uh, take him now and all, you know, all this sort of stuff. So he he gained a weird section and he lost lost another section of his fan base. He kind of swapped them out. Okay, yeah. Uh, Yeah, sure. We here at Bowie vs. Dylan... We don't judge you if you have a religious conversion, and we don't certainly don't want to make fun of you. <laughs> we are both Christians ourselves. We fact. are, and we don't want to make fun of you, if, even if you became something that wasn't a Christian. Uh, we, you know, we don't make fun of that kind of thing. It's deeply held and, and that kind of thing. However, Dylan was kind of a D after he got converted. <laughs> I just want to say that uh, he, you know, the aforementioned Mark Knopfler conversation, where Mark was like, uh, "What are you talking about right now?" So he tried, he tried the same thing with Jerry Wexler, and this is what Jerry had to say. Now, I assume that Jerry Wexler, you know, was like a New York uh, sort of Jewish type, and I'm not really yeah. sure. So, but I'm just going to make a really stereotypical, horrible voice for him anyway, and I apologize in advance. How do you make that? Bob, you're dealing with a 62-year-old confirmed Jewish atheist. I'm hopeless. Let's just make an album. <laughs> that was kind of, a, kind of offensive, Jake. That was bad. <laughs> kind of funny. I'm sorry, everyone. I was, hoping, I was hoping to go for like a Jerry Seinfeld or something. Bob! Bob! <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal? What's the deal with Christianity? Yeah, you're right. That would have been better. Let me let me try that with Jerry Seinfeld um, instead. <laughs> okay, Bob, you're dealing with a 62 year old confirmed Jewish atheist. I'm hopeless. Let's just make an album. 
It was a terrible Jerry Seinfeld, but I enjoyed it more than the last one anyway. All right, thanks, 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 thanks. Okay, um, so he did that to pretty much everyone he met for a while. He was like, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta get in on the ground floor with me on this Jesus thing." <laughs> and by ground floor, I mean he died two thousand years ago. Right, two thousand years of beautiful tradition. However. Uh, but it was like Bob was like, "Whoa, have you heard? Have you heard this, guys? Have you heard of this? <laughs> You're this Jesus fella." Uh, question: Do you want to rot in the flaming, burning pits of hell? <laughs> you just, don't. Idle conversation here. Just wondering. Just wondering about that. That's just a thing I was thinking about. Um, another case in point is he did a tour in 1979. Uh, it stretched into 1980, but he started it in November of 79 called, quote, The Gospel Tour. Mm, so, whereas earlier, uh, last, the year before, he went, you know, he went mining for those old nuggets of his old songs. He, <laughs> so many nuggets. He came to that, that wonderful crossroad in any rock and roller's career where he refused to play any of the old songs whatsoever. We all, oh, man, yeah. We all love that, don't we? That's always good. <laughs> he beat Bowie by 11 years. Yeah, <laughs> real trailblazer there. So he didn't, play, he didn't play any old or secular material. He only played the songs that he had just written last week about how he was a born-again Christian. <laughs> wow. Uh, I guess his concerts were quite a scene. It was a mixture of people like, uh, like protesting, basically, and anti-protesting outside the... <laughs> Outside the the arena, you know, the born agains, uh-huh. the Jesus freaks were going crazy, and the Dylan fans were just like, "What is happening right now? This is this is unbelievable." The was concert. There another attempt to save Dylan from himself. I don't think that he was. He wasn't. He was even less interested in being saved from himself than normal. I would say. Well, sure, but were people trying? I would imagine, but he was he was a stone wall. He only played these new songs that he was, yeah. and he you know he brought out a nice band with him, and I guess they sounded okay. Um, there was some you know humanity and some warmth to the performances, I guess. But sure. when he got heckled, which was you know often during this time period, he would um, either wait till the song was done, or he would he would just launch into it in the middle of a song. He uh, would would deliver these kind of fiery evangelistic testimonies and lectures from the stage to his audience. And so the the gospel tour became known more for these sort of lectures that he would give uh, rather, okay. rather than the music. Uh, so okay. that happened. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little yeah. bit I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in 1980 because um, as I've discussed he's done this he did this for 3 years and 3 albums. So there's Which were immortalized on Trouble Noir, the best ever uh, <laughs> Bob Dylan bootleg series, right, Jake? It's time to re-examine that particular period of his career, I'd say. <laughs> and time for critics to and fall I, over themselves loving it this time. I give it a 10 out of 10. Whatever it is. I don't even I know give it, it an 11, Jake. I give it an 11 out of 5. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Uh, okay. Last thing he did. Oh, he released a couple singles off of uh, Slow Train Gummin. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 which we'll get to. He also, for the only time in his career, he played Saturday Night Live in 1979. Hey, whoa. Hey, yeah. It'll be a good segue, but keep going. They've been asking him. Now, Saturday Night Live had not been around that long, but it was literally. I want to say it started in 77. I think you're right. 
But it was literally the one of the most popular things on TV. It was a huge, it was huge, it was huge, huge cultural phenomenon. Chevy Chase was on it for one year, and then it was like, "Hey, I'm big enough. I'm huge. Uh, me, quitting SNL get, after one year. Get me out of here, guys." Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, of course, you know, to get uh, to get Bob Dylan in particular would have you know was a huge coup for any show yeah. at that time. Yeah, and to get him sense would have been even you know would have been even better. But his you know this was one of his things. He was like, "I'll oh, come on, but you got to let me play these gospel songs." And uh, nothing could have been farther from mainstream Christianity probably at that point than Saturday Night Live. <laughs> uh-huh. But here comes Bob and he they let him sing three songs and to my knowledge like the norm is for you to do two. So he kind of uh, they met all of his demands. Uh, his first song which is also his first single Gotta Serve Somebody is seven and a half minutes long. So he just played that baby. And he played the whole thing? He played the whole darn thing. And he Man. played two more semi-long songs. One called I Believe in You and one called When You Gonna Wake Up when are you gonna do it? I, I don't know. I don't when? know. I don't know. When? There's too much pressure. I don't, I don't when? know. When? <laughs> Leave me alone. When? You know what? I'm gonna let you wake up and do some uh, do some David Bowie now. How do you think of that? You know what? I am gonna throw off my whole my whole like schedule here. I had I had things yeah. planned out because I want to talk about David Bowie playing Saturday Night Live in 1979. No way! Really? Yeah. And it was the first time he played it. It was Swag. like, and he didn't play it again until. Late nineties, I'm gonna say. I think he played it like two more times. It was like the late nineties and early two thousands. Oh, this is say. a this is a convergence, Chaz, between our guys. So I was not gonna get into this until later in my segment, but it just feels appropriate. Go for it, man. Bowie also got to play three songs. Let it fly. Maybe that's what they did. And back Bowie then. also just went completely nuts, like, but in an entirely opposite, <laughs> weirdo, nuts, different way. Mm-hmm. So the thing about Saturday Night Live, and at some point, I watched the first season of Saturday Night Live. I kind of want to say I saw it with mom, and I don't know how that worked or how that would why that would have been a thing. But well, they I watched the first season of Saturday Night Live. They've released them on DVD over the they years. They have, and so I don't know where we got it from or what happened, but I'm pretty sure I watched it with mom. And the thing about early Saturday Night Live is, you know, they were still finding their feet, but they weren't only comedy yet. Like it was more of a variety show. It was more like yeah, and there was some weird stuff in there. Oh yeah, there's some stuff a little more serious, some stuff a little more socially aware, and some just like stuff just really out there, really avant garde. And this being in the early years, Bowie is like, after a couple of years of being like a little straighter, you know, like in his appearance and everything, <clears throat> his few appearances, we'll talk more about his few appearances on TV, uh, in 79 were like out there. And this is one of his most out there, maybe his most avant-garde, strangest uh, performances in his entire career. Okay, ever. So, ever. So he appeared, he played three songs, he appeared with, uh, you know how Klaus Nomi is? Uh, no, I don't think I do. He's like a kind of minor, and a footnote, he died of AIDS in the early 80s, I don't know, 82 or 83, and he was one of the first, like, mm-hmm. anybody knew who he was at all, like, he was just, he was on the rise at the time, <clears throat> and he died of AIDS before he really got anywhere, and he was a very early, well-known person to die of AIDS. Okay. But he was this, uh, German guy, he released an album or two after this, like, Bowie kind of found him, more or less, but he was very idiosyncratic and like wore these kind of weird Japanese type dresses and these like had this tall spiky hair and wore a lot of makeup and he sang in a very operatic style but over like new wave guitars and stuff okay. um, it's kind of interesting like sure. I've had one of I've had his, his uh, I, was gonna say, I can't remember if he has more than one album or not but I had his first album like on my list of like you know if I ever find this thing cheap I'm jumping on it you know you get it. it sounds like a, an interesting 
from what I've listened to it, it's interesting. Anyway, um, so he was a backing vocalist for Bowie on this, but very prominent, along with some guy named Joey Arias, Ar- uh, who really didn't go anywhere with it, but they, they, he had a similar aesthetic. So they're both wearing these kind of dressed kimono things, lots of makeup, and they're singing this operatic backing style with this very, like, strong hand movements and stuff, this choreographed hand movements behind Bowie. Okay. Bowie did three songs. In yes. the first one, he did Man Who Sold the World. Wow. He comes in in this kind of, like, oversized tuxedo-like suit that was, like, it was rigid. Like, he couldn't move most of his body. He could only move <laughs> his head and his arms. Oh, no. So his backup singers had to carry him up to the front, to the mic. Oh, So he could weird. sing. It was really strange, but also kind of fascinating. That's awesome. And so when he was done, they carried it back. Um, he came back later <laughs> on for, uh, to play TVC15, which was a forgotten single off the station to station which is a good sign sure. and uh it comes out in a more traditional suit ex- with a pencil skirt and some makeup and like oh boy and heels and nylons and stuff and so sings through that one then later on the show he comes on again for boys keep swinging which would have been his current single at the time well a current single it came out night center actually he would have had one more single after that and performed, he was performing, he's not with the rest, like the rest of the band looks like they're there, but he was performing elsewhere uh, in front of a green screen and with his head, like yeah. you could see his face and everything, but the rest of his body was green screen and then he had like a puppet for a body what? that he could control. And so this is all green screen that in front of his band and his backing vocals who were like on the normal stage performing in a normal way. Dude. So it looks like it's just him there with this like puppet body which he was controlling. It looks really strange, <laughs> really. Like, this is one of the weirdest Whoa. performances he's ever gave in his entire life. That's the, it's also pretty awesome. That's one of the weirdest performances anyone's ever given Oh, man, it's so life. weird. That's and, crazy. And, like, this ever flew on anywhere, you know? But, well, like, that was... You can't picture somebody doing something like that outside of their life now. But that that's that's kind of... They did some really, really odd stuff. It wasn't just humor all the time. So, it was a yeah. really, it's a really fascinating performance. and one of his most notable ones. So... That reminds um, me. That was, I'm leading with that then. That reminds me of one of the Muppet shows where they did the entire show was just them doing like a puppet opera. Do you remember that one? Oh yeah, well, it was like the first episode. Yeah, it was like so before the, before they managed to actually get guests anybody had ever heard of. So bizarre. It was just like here's. And they also watched the first know, three seasons of the Muppet Show. Yeah, that's which good, is another really really stuff. right from the same period too. I want to say that that might have started in like '77 also. Yeah, right around the same right. period. Yeah, puppets. It's really strange, but really like. And I'm kind of subversive, though, at the same time, totally. in, in an innocent way. That's the Muppets, like, though. Hey, they y'all, were. look at these puppets. Look what they're doing. Exactly. There's, a, there's an avant-garde thing to that, that you're trying to do this. Trying For to sure. Yeah, they did. So, anyway. All right, so that's, that's our, uh, our SNL combination. Anyway, I'm going back to the beginning now. Go so back. So, Bowie, his period here is, this is one of my favorite years. And my favorite period of Bowie is, is uh, kind of the Berlin, your expanded, extended Berlin years of 1976 to 1980. Um, he really only lived Berlin in Berlin for part of seventy seven and seventy eight, I think. Um, but it's just it was what he was going. He was coming off of the smack and uh, cleaning up a little bit, and he went and moved and lived in Berlin like as kind of a nobody. He wasn't really well known there. And this is you know this is Berlin when it's divided east and west Berlin. Sure. He recorded really close to to uh, East Berlin. And he like I've heard interviews and stuff about why he did this, and he said like he wanted to live. He came from L.A. and he wanted. He said he wanted to live somewhere where people like cared about more than just drugs or rock and roll or any of that stuff. Like he wanted to, people who were desperate and people who were living in a different way and, and more aware of their existence. 
Um, so he went there with Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop was living near him. I think they lived together for a little while, too. But they were hanging out and doing all this stuff and cleaning up together or trying to. Um, and in this, he created some of his greatest works of art, in my opinion. Um, so this is one of his albums. is Lodger. It was 1979. Lodger. This was his last. It's, this was a collaboration with Brian Eno. It's the final part of the Berlin trilogy, so to speak, which includes Low and, and Heroes, which both came out in 77. It's actually a lot different than those two albums, and this whole... Berlin trilogy is kind of weird because hmm. really the only connecting thing is that Brian Eno was involved with all three albums. I see. Because musically, Lodger is way different than the other two. The other two have a lot in common. Lodger is way different and has a lot more to do with his album after it, Scary Monsters, which Brian Eno had nothing to do with. Super it was, Creeps. Uh, what's that? Super Creeps. Super Creeps. Scary Monsters. Super, Super Creeps. Keep me running. Anyway. So Brian, you know, I'm I'm a big I'm a big Eno fan, Jake. Yeah, you, you are. About, you know, yeah, you, you are. Up, you, even though I know that you own and like Brian Eno albums, I do. Bring him up in the podcast. You get this kind of like snide tone of your voice, <laughs> like, oh, Brian, you know, yeah, it's really likes him. I'm like, I know that you own him, Brian Eno albums. I do. Like him. I do. What's the deal, Jake? Tell all of us right now. We're all listening. We're ready. Go. Um, I think I think Chaz to answer your question, I. It's kind of hard to articulate it. I think it's a little bit of like um, he's he's so avant-garde um, and also successful somehow, but he he's sort of like he thinks he's better than you a little bit, or he thinks he is better than you. He thinks he he's, is better. I, than I know you. he is better than me, like artistically. <laughs> I, but he's also one of those guys that's done so much stuff. Like he's done um, so much stuff. It's true. And I love his ambient music, and I I studied yeah. I studied it in college along with John Cage and yeah. you know, everybody else. And I did buy. I think the one that I have is Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy. Yeah. And for some reason, like I just I never got into the glam it's stuff. Yeah, like, it's more. Like I mean, he only has a couple of glam albums. It's just a little. Uh, and his rock and his time with Roxy music, but yeah, after that. yeah, and it's a, it's just a little too like winkingly weird for me. Just a little bit I too like hey, you know I'm I being weird on that. purpose. It's subversive. Yeah, there's, a few, there's a few of those in there around so I can see that. And then I, I really also like, uh, here come the warm jets though. Yeah, that's no, no, that's good. There's, there's good, other there's good stuff in there. And then somehow he became like literally the most successful rock producer ever because he was. Oh yeah, like he did U twos, U two and stuff. Yeah. He did U twos album. Coldplay. I mean, and by then I guess, and by then I guess his you know his persona at least the stereotype of it was like the sort of like general this like bald general who's like no Bono sing it like this. <laughs> See, my impression of him is always he always seems like kind of. Quiet and buttoned down, and I don't know. Right. Hey, man. Anyway, I love me some Brian Eno. He's hey, kind of like it. my number two after David Bowie. Honestly. Number two? I don't know. He's of up there. anybody? I don't know. He's close. I mean, he's tied for 202nd with me, but I mean, number he's two. Top five, Jake. Top five. No wow. Impression. I guess I didn't yeah. know that. I'm learning something yeah. on this podcast today, yeah. Chaz. About I don't come you. anywhere close to all his albums because he's got like 60 albums with his right. name on them. Right. I don't know how many more albums he has that he's just like producing or showing up and making weird noises that they refer to as like cricket menace or something. <laughs> they come up with creative names for whatever the heck he managed to do with his suitcase synthesizers and stuff. Anyway, Bo, or you know what was involved with this. And he was doing weird stuff. And this is a perfect segue to some of the weird stuff he's doing. So Jake, I have multiple choice questions for you. Yes, I'm ready. Uh, Brian Eno wanted to do all kinds of weird stuff. They were all about him and, and Bowie were really about trying to like capitalize on mistakes in this. In this, the making of this album. Okay. So which of the following things 
did he not do while per- well he didn't produce this album he just helped make it well helping to make this album what are the things that he not do no. which one of these did he not do did he not do okay I'm ready yes uh A and I'm these out of order so I won't remember which one's A, B, or C, or D so just listen really closely okay, okay. A have uh, the band members switch instruments okay. and record the song alright B have guitarist play solos over tracks he had never heard before okay not even knowing the key he didn't even know the key alright C use music already used for any pop album to make a entirely different song on this album okay or D, have them play their instruments vocally, like just sing the instruments rather than actually playing them for real. Uh, which of those did he not do? Which of those did he not do? Oh, man, that's tough, Chaz. That's a real tough one. <sighs> My gut says sing the instruments. Oh, you're right, Jake. Well yes. done. Well done. Yes, that whole that whole uh, band switching instruments thing is a tale as old as time. I'm pretty sure Mozart was doing that. Oh yeah, that. yeah, uh, he did that on a, on a on But the I thought you might be trying to voice. you might be trying to trick me uh, with the singing instruments one. Well, yeah, that was when I made. I, I came up with the idea. This is why I was stumbling over this. Is I turned I like in a multiple it, choice question in the middle of your segment earlier. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a multiple choice question before, and I looked at it up to head and went, "They really should be a multiple choice question." <laughs> so that's why I was stumbling a little bit. Was I didn't have it written out and ready to go. They should but, all uh, be know, multiple choice questions, Jeff. Well, I know. All I have of them. multiple choice. I have a multiple choice question scheduled in for later on, but this oh. one's even a good one too. Oh, baby. yeah. The rest of the stuff here did not have them sing their their instruments, as far as I know. He did have the guitarist Adrian Blue, like flute. He listened. They had like twenty tracks, like in some level of readiness to go, and he uh, he just started playing over the backing tracks without even knowing wow. the key. And uh, after two or three times, then they figured he knew it too well, and they wouldn't let him do it anymore. Good one. <laughs> he just knew it. He just knew it too. They well. just knew it. They had yes. They did switch instruments uh, prominently on "Boys Keep Swimming," swinging, which was the first single off of Lodger. Um, I actually don't know if Brian Eno was involved in this whole, but they used the backing music from, because Bowie was heavily involved in the making of Iggy Pop's two 1977 albums, uh, The Idiot and Lust for Life. Yeah. And so with the song Sister Midnight from The Idiot, they took the backing track for it and did completely different vocals and changed it to a different song wow. for the movie, the song Red Money. I actually don't remember if, if uh, Brian Eno was in charge of that or so, if that was the type of Bowie thing. So you can tell when you listen to the two songs, like the backing is exactly the same. Oh yeah, it's, it's exactly the same. It's not like they... they they didn't even like, they didn't even record it again. Like they didn't perform it again. They used the exact same backing track. Yeah. Wow. And performed over it again. And okay. they did a different song. So it was kind of impressive. Word up. But it was. They were all about trying to capitalize, trying to capitalize on mistakes. Uh, so these single or these uh, these guitar solos that Adrian Blue used, they like uh, they cut them up and used different pieces of it on top of the actual songs, whatever their favorite parts were. There were parts where they would cut it up and like use the same, like the, the part with the most mistakes over and over again. Yeah. But it ended up making, it's kind of strange because it ended up making it a more accessible, more traditional album than the last two. Interesting. Like it's more of a, it's got kind of a new wave vibe to it. Um, more traditional song structure. There's no ambient songs on it. Uh, it's got some world music influences, which was, you know, something bright, you know, was going to go into soon most prominently with this work on uh with talking heads and with um yeah david burn on totally. my life in the bishop ghosts which are awesome stuff over there yeah that's good stuff so uh 
other prominent thing about this is the vocals were not, he didn't sing at the time they were making Elvis, because a lot of it you know, was cut up and then made in, in the studio. So he actually did not record, like, write or record vocals until months after, you know, like they did the whole thing, and then he took, like, four months off or something, and then Bowie did, like, went back and did the rest. That's pretty weird. Yeah, it is pretty weird. Uh, it was also is notable, Brian Eno did not produce this album. He's often thought to have produced the, the Berlin trilogy. Yeah. He didn't. I thought it was Tony he Visconti, long time producer of David Bowie. Tony Visconti. Tony Visconti. TV, we call him. TV round these parts. I also got to mention with Lodger is there's a pretty sweet, uh, kind of iconic cover for this one. Yes, there is. Um, it's a gatefold sleeve design. You know, he folds out. It's to like the, the front cover is just his feet but he pulls out it's him like his full length like falling kind of beat up looking I don't know if you know the sound but anyway, it's a cool sleep design I'm just saying Jake hey man that you go for it you say it say it again so yeah I I don't want to oh alright well it's, it's <laughs> your world man you know I'm worried uh, okay so, do so whatever you want that was kind of what it was all about so we did this other kind of stuff. I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to go over to TV friends. I'm messing up my order entirely, but that's fine. Hey, man. Uh, Improvise it. He did it. not tour off of this album. He did not tour at all. He did not do any. No, he had one live performance in this entire year. Wow. And it was... Saturday Night Live? <laughs> well, I aside from TV, he had a couple TV appearances. Oh. But his only like, actual live appearance was playing viola. Yeah. With Philip Glass, Steve Reich, and John Cale. Dang. On Cale's song, Sabotage. That's good. Murderer's Row right there. I like that. I like that a lot, too. There seem to be no bootleg recordings of it, at least oh, not that I can find. too bad. Really? I, they probably just weren't trying. They probably just nobody was recording it, you know? <laughs> like, but uh, I would love to hear that. That's so flaws. Listen, I would rather have... I would rather have my guy, Bob Dylan, you know, be in the sort of social musical circles that your guy, David Bowie, was oh, in yeah. at this time. I mean, that's some, oh, yeah. that's some rich, right that's some rich, rich oh, stuff. Yeah. I love all those Just people. Just hanging Glass and Steve Argan Jackie. Yeah. You know, no and people. so if you want to throw Brian Eno into that mix, which clearly he was a And Brian, he is in that mix. I know. He's friends with him. He's seen all those other guys, all those guys too, you know? So that's cool. Like, go ahead with that. That's fine with yeah. me. Yeah. I will, thanks. I will silently thanks, judge you rather thanks. than out out loud judge you. How's that? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Bowie was hanging out with the cool kids, and he was one he of the cool totally kids. He totally was so. with the cool kids. I know. He was right. really cool at that He time. was soups cool. He was soups cool. Soups cool. Soups cool. Soups cool. <laughs> so cool that he would never, ever say what we just said. So. <laughs> uh, well, he can't say much of anything now, can he, Chess? Wow, Jake. Gosh. Wow. Usually, wow. you do, usually you're the one that does that. I just wow. thought I'd jump in. I don't know there. even what to say right now. That was, wow. Uh, I guess I would rather, you know. Bono! Bono, you're out of key, Bono! <laughs> I'd rather be saying nothing, Jake, than making triplicate. That's my most recent album. I'm just saying that. Hey, man, that, that hurts more than me making fun of David Bowie being deceased. <laughs> being dead? See, you saw that's a fact. That's a fact. Fact, and your whole thing with triplicate is an opinion. It's an opinion. It's an opinion, Chaz. Don't no, mix up I your said... opinion and your facts. <laughs> it's a fact that, David, that Bob Dylan's most recent album is triplicate. Yeah, that's a fact. So what? You're right. Okay. Um, also, in 1979, David Bowie was hanging out with John Cale, and they recorded some demos uh, that, are, uh, that never went anywhere. But they exist, and those I could find bootlegs of, and I listened to them, and they were interesting. Jake. 
Interesting. You didn't say good. You said interesting. Got it. <laughs> they were pretty good. I don't know. I listened to it like once, and you know, it's really poor quality. Like, and they were just demos of that messy round. Apparently, they were really drunk. And stuff. Well, guess who? Guess who Dylan was jamming with in 1979? Jesus Christ! God. Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> so it doesn't get any cooler uh, than that. Jesus wasn't there, as far as I could tell. And let me tell you, the results were not only interesting; they were wildly disappointing. Okay. <laughs> You think Jesus could get some tasty licks? So, but we did a couple other TV appearances. He appeared on the Kenny Everett show. Yeah, I never never heard of that guy. No, me neither. He did some. uh, He like kind of pre-recorded videos of, and so they're almost like music videos, which he also did in 1979. But we'll get to those later. And so he did one for Boys Keep Swinging, and he also re-recorded 1979's a little number by the name of Oh I Don't Know Space Oddity. You ever heard of it? <laughs> Have you heard of that one, Jay? He you re-recorded it. He re-recorded it, and he actually released it as a B-side in 19, early 1980. Okay, uh, but it's like really stripped down and really awesome. Okay, there's this part where he uh, he goes silent for like four seconds straight, which in recording time is like. Just an un- outrageous, like comfortably long amount of time. That's true. But uh, it's a really excellent version. They did a, a video for it for the Kenny Everett show, whatever this is, and that's um, awesome. I just want to say that. Okay. So, okay, Jake. Take it seems your word like for a good it. time here. Yeah, I went through all this stuff here. It seems like a good time. Another multiple choice question. I'm ready. I've been ready for. So after ever. all this great stuff I just talked about, Jake. Yeah, good stuff. Great. It's time we talk about. The movie that they blows in Oh, shall we? And the movie, I don't think I told you the name of this, of this movie, and I hope I have it. Okay. Because, anyway. Bowie is in a hilariously titled film. What is the title? Oh, that's, is it A, okay. Just a Sewer Inspector? <laughs> okay. B, Just an Imbecile? Uh-huh. C, Just a Gigolo? <laughs> yeah. Or D, Just an Out-of-Work Actor? I'm going to impress you with the fact that you have ta- told me this before. I, I have. Think. Darren. It's, it's, Darren. Ju- it's just a gigolo. It's just a gigolo. <laughs> just a gigolo. Hey, who's that? Hey, oh, yeah, well, he's, 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 he's just a gigolo. Just a gigolo. He's just a gigolo. What you up to these days, Bowie? I don't know. Just a gigolo. I'm just a gigolo. Just a gigolo. <laughs> uh, anyway, it is his second starring role in a film, in a major motion picture after Only the second. really excellent Man Who Fell to Earth, which yes. came out in 1976. 76, yes. Um, this one is not as good as that one. Okay. Uh, he enough. plays a former German soldier surviving in the between war period of Berlin. So we're in between the two with the world wars, which, like, Germany was in awful, awful shape because oh, they yeah. were kind of, a, you know, they kind of lost both world wars. Yeah, that's what I heard. So after losing World War One, they were horrible. You know, things were horrible. That's what allowed the Nazis to, like, to come to power in the first place. Is, you sure. know, they're horrible poverty. Like, the country is just awful. Yeah. But it also created a lot of excellent art. There's the German Expressionism and the painting realm, which I really enjoy a lot. There's some great films that came out, great silent films, stuff like Metropolis and the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari Expressionism. There's a lot of great stuff that came out of this. Um, and also, David Bowie played a gigolo who lived in that time. Um, so he's a soldier coming back from his time and trying to land on his feet. He obviously like came from wealth, um, but they lost a lot of that. He comes back, and their like giant family home is now being rented out. Like all the you know the rooms are being rented out and stuff. So he's trying to find work, and you know is mildly successful. He's like uh, he wears this giant like paper mache bottle of wine for quite a while uh-huh. <laughs> like that's his job is walking around the streets in this thing cool yeah, uh, 
it wasn't very good the movie. I did watch it. Um, his, he meanwhile is like all the women want him for some reason. Sure. And he just kind of was like this passive like guy who was confused by it. It actually kind of reminded me of um, The Graduate. Oh, okay. All right. Where's this guy like, you know, like, man, that's Dustin Hoffman coming back from college and like not really sure how to get going with his life and uh, getting attention from, you know, an older woman in that case. Uh-huh. And not really know. And just very passive and not a lot of personality, but somehow like a magnet to people anyway. He's mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. He's passive and runs after him for some reason, including Nazis and communists and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Bowie only signed on. Now, it does seem like the same type of product he would do, um, especially when you're in this Berlin period. It seems like it was slightly inspired by the writings of Christopher Isherwood. Are you familiar with any of this stuff? No. I'm the not. Berlin stories are they? Oh, some of his writings were the basis for the musical Cabaret. Oh, okay. Uh, and so Bowie loved Christopher Isherwood, and so it seems like you know it's kind of somewhere in that neighborhood. Also, he uh, he supposedly only signed on because he one of his co-stars was Marlene Dietrich. Oh, I was going to say, is this the Marlene Dietrich one? This is the Marlene Dietrich okay, one. Yeah. So Marlene Dietrich, of course, was a huge film actress who made the transition to talkies and everything. It's her final film, and it was her first film in years. They kind of somehow got her, talked her out of getting out, coming out of retirement for wow. a very small role in this film. Uh, now, Bowie just desperately wanted to meet her, and uh, they never met. <laughs> Even though they're in They never met, together, but they're in the same movie. They never okay. met. She lives living in France at the time and refused to leave Paris. <laughs> so they even like recreated half of the set you know, somewhere in Paris and had her and recorded her there. That's crazy. And Bowie's spots were recorded in Berlin where they heard the rest of the movie. And so he never actually met her. I wonder if he was he was, kind of, he was no doubt he was no doubt like imagining that she was right across the room like it it could have been like a scarecrow or something and he's like oh. I like to think it was like a tennis ball on a string or something. <laughs> totally or like a Wilson a Wilson volleyball like um, or just like an overweight you know <laughs> cameraman or something was on his break kind of line you know, eating a sandwich <laughs> <laughs> oh Marlene how I've wanted to meet you for so long <laughs> yeah, yep yep that's me. So, more about that when I get to points. But, fine. Uh, fine, fine, fine. It was, uh, it was disappointing. And finally, year and hair. Ah, yeah. <clears throat> oh, a classic period. So, I don't know. Like, it's just, it's not a very, did not like going, it's just kind of a normal hairstyle. I don't yeah. know. A little bit fluffy, you know. Sure, fluffy. You, you often like to have just a little bit of that, you know, the little bit of the hair, like, coming over the front, just a little flop down cool. the eyes, you know. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So he's got that going on a little bit, but it, it's pretty normal hair. He's still, aside from his really weird avant-garde, you know, videos and, like, SNL appearance, he's still in this, you know, like, this late 70s period. He's just kind of a normal guy. He's just kind of looking kind of normal in 77, sure. 78, 79. But, uh, but doing weird, like, Focusing all his weird stuff into uh, his music instead of his appearance and overstarched suits. Overstarched suits. Yeah. Didn't you say his suit? Didn't you say his suit on Saturday Night Live was so starchy that it couldn't? Oh couldn't no move? no! It was like a it was like sculptural, Jake. It wasn't <laughs> even really a suit. Oh, gotcha. I mean, it was like it wasn't just that it was you know, over a key, key. It wasn't intended to be moved. It was more like a statue that you wore. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, they had he was on a base, he was on a pedestal somewhere. He, like they they carried him on. Like Hannibal Lecter. There was no way. There was no way to yeah. Yeah. Well I you know. <laughs> it wasn't he didn't get wheeled on. They they had to carry him on. Alright, fine. What's the what's the score for you in here? Oh, uh two point five. Two point two point five. Well, I know for him it's probably more like a three point five. <laughs> 
So you're going 3.5. He's not, he's not, well, but it's like a boring normal haircut that's above average for him. Okay, so I'm going to say 2.5 for the normies, 3.5 for the Bowies. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Got it. Are you keeping track of these? Because I Yeah, don't. yeah, well, I'd have to check my notes, like, for a long time to get them all, but. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> so all right, give us some points, Jake. Let's roll this puppy out. Yeah, let's do it, man. All right. So, Bob Dylan actually did a lot of things. It was it was a split year between uh, Vegas Baby and uh, Kevin, I guess. Kevin Baby. Um, so, the tour, um, the one that I'm going to talk about is, or the, ones I'm, uh, the one I'm going to give points for is the Gospel Tour. I already gave points yeah, in 1978 yeah. for, for the 1978 World Tour. Uh, the the tour turned out to be kind of like a fascinating sort of a circus. It was like very audacious, and it was actually very bold, and probably you could argue that it was courageous for for Bob to to do all courageous. this. Courageous, sure. Well, sure. you know, bringing out your faith and only your faith, and not having any yeah. landing pad. And, yeah. Okay. You know. Sorry, I was. I, I know you. I I know I was listening to you, but I was still thinking of the last one, the the Las Vegas one. Oh no, was that was not courageous. No, was... no, this one is clearly courageous. Clearly okay. very courageous. Yes, and, absolutely, no doubt, no doubt. And I think I think this even and, if misguided. This well could have been misguided. This this and the uh, the album Slow Train Coming both both kind of share this thing. Like I think you have to like this style of music. There's a there's a lot of people that like late seventies and early eighties gospel music. You know, that's yeah. kind of a classic sound. I don't personally like that sound. Um, you know, uh, the, the content of the songs is a little lyrically is just, it's a little, it's, it's less intelligent than I'm used to from Bob. Let's just go, let's just yeah. say it like that. Um, yeah, okay. and so for the tour, I'm going to go for a plus 0.5. Oh, okay. Right. I mean, All why, right. why not? Why not? I think, why not? you know, we both I, know he's going to lose this year. So let's, oh, let's he's going to, he's going to lose and he's going to lose badly. Let's do a uh, slow train coming. Um, kind of for the same reasons, I'm going to give that a negative 0.5 because I just don't think it's up to, it's just not up to snuff, you know, for his, no matter what the subject material, it's just, it's not that great. And I don't put it on, you know, if it sounded great, I'd probably put it on and it would probably make it, you know, probably make it more likely for me to actually, you know, break down his lyrics and do all that kind of stuff. But I, I just don't, I just don't put it on. Um, his other album is Live at Budokan, which... <laughs> which we already talked about, is it so bad it's good. It's a so bad it's, it's like, good, and for bad. that, I gotta give but it... But not so bad that it gets points. Not so good that it gets points for being bad. So I'm gonna give it a plus zero. That's what, this is what I'm gonna do. Oh, all right. I oh. expected worse. Dang. Uh, cool. It probably should be worse. I, I just, I enjoyed the first eight songs more than I thought I would. Let's just say that. <laughs> but was it for all the wrong reasons? It started out being the right reasons, and then I laughed, and then it was like a joke that went on for too long, but then became funny again. But then I was like, <laughs> but then it was like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm so, I'm so done with this. You know what? I'm gonna give it a negative point five. I've talked myself okay, yeah, back whatever, into the yeah. negatives. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing has mattered less in all of recorded history than what <laughs> I give live at Budokan. <laughs> How many points you are giving to live at <laughs> Exactly. It's the most <laughs> meaningless thing that's ever come out of anyone's mouth. Uh, all right, three singles. Love minus zero, no limit from the live at Budokan. Um, I've discussed this before with Bob Dylan's um, misguided attempts at live albums and other albums in particular. Is the the first single sounds a little exciting? It's a little bit like, oh, what's going on here? This isn't this isn't <laughs> how I knows what they're doing. This isn't how I remember Love minus zero, no limit. You know, it's a little reinvented. It's a little funky. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And then you know you listen to the fourth single. Well, God, God willing, there were no four sing- fourth singles on this. 
and you're like, oh no, this is a disaster. But for the first one, I'm going to give it a plus 0.5 because it's kind of it's kind of good. It's kind of good, you know. It's kind of good. Uh, then we're going to move to Slow Train Cummins singles. Got to serve somebody. Seven and a half minutes long. Preachy, <laughs> funky, really repetitive. Uh, it could have ended. It probably could have ended halfway through. I want to say, you know, yeah. he's not saying anything after that. Uh, there is a hilarious lyric where he's like, you can call me, what does he say? It ends up with him saying, like, he, he gives some but names, don't, like... Just don't, call me, just don't call me late for dinner? It's like, it, that probably could have been in it. It was like, don't, you can call me Bobby, you can call me something, and then it ends with, you can call me Zimmy. <laughs> Which I don't know if anybody calls him Zimmy, but I, I, I want to start. I want to start calling him Zimmy. Uh, but then the the tagline is uh, you may serve. The- what song is what song am I thinking about then? You can call me then. Do you can call me? Oh, it's a. Uh, oh shoot! You can do it. Some song. You can. I'm just picturing it. that music video with Christopher Walken dancing. It's an amazing music video. It's Fat Boy Slim. You can call no, me now. Go ahead. Okay. You uh, can call me then. Are you can call me now. You can do with this, or you can do with that. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that the one? Go with us. Yeah, yeah that's a good song. Really that's a great music video. All right. Uh, so anyway, got to serve somebody. You can call him Zimmy. Uh, you may serve the devil. You may serve the Lord, but you know you're gonna serve somebody. Serve somebody. Gonna have to serve some. And it's like boom, 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 like all like all funky. Anyway, negative point five. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, cool. Precious Angel is actually uh, it's a terrible title for anything, but it's a little bit a better song, more of a ballad. Uh, a little smarter than some of the other ones. So I give that a plus zero. So this is a parade of plus fives uh, having a fight with negative point fives. So uh-huh. I'm going to have a little trouble. Let's see. One. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a negative point five altogether. Oh, and the negative. <laughs> it was hard to say where it was going to land, you know. Could have gone either way. I know. A real coin flip. All right. You better save save us from this conversation. Go. Let's go with this. All right. So Lodger, um, one of my top five Bowie albums. Yes. It's got a little bit of a bad reputation. And, I, and not that like people hate it or think it's awful. I think it's more just it is a step down from what from the three albums that came right before it. Sure. And from the album that came right after it. Um, like it's definitely like weaker than those, but I think it's a really strong, really great album. Um, it's been noted for kind of a murky, indistinct mix. Like it's not mixed very well. Um, that came out a little more came out about that just in 2017 when it was completely remixed by Tony Visconti. But apparently they were limited. They had a very like a small amount of time to mix it, and the studio they were there mixing it was had limitations, didn't really have everything they needed to do it. So we're kind of stuck by that. So like I said, Tony Visconti did a full album remix of 2017 that I actually like better. Usually this kind of stuff, I like. I don't care that much about different mixes and yeah. stuff. I a lot of times cannot even tell the difference or can just barely tell the difference. But this one, I can tell a big difference. Like if I'm listening to a song, from I can tell which version it actually is. And I, it's really interesting. But anyway, um, I think it's a great album. It's one of my top 10 ones. I love it. It's really interesting. It's, it's from my favorite period. I give it a 3.5. 3.5, nice. 3.5, that's nice. a good solid score. Solid score. Now, Jake, you're going to love this. Bowie yeah. has six singles uh, in 1979. How quickly can you talk about them? Are you ready for the parade? Let's go. Yeah. First up is, now, Lodger does not have any big, like, notable singles. You've probably never heard of any of the songs. The best-known single was Voice Keeps Swinging, which you probably have heard of. Um, although you have some best of Bowie. Your mom never heard of it. 
Well, probably not. She didn't. Probably, <laughs> I would guess. Uh, it was most notable for, it's one of Bowie's best music videos. Uh, it features him, like, doing this kind of, like, over-the-top, like, 50s-style, uh, he's, like, swinging back and forth. It's kind of a preview of, of what he did a lot with Sirius Moonlight. Okay. Just looking at this 50s-style, like, like he's on this, you know, big show and, like, really, you know, working the crowd and everything. And he's going back between him singing the song, doing that, and him dressed in drag as three different backup singers for himself. Okay. And then symbolic. Uh, it's symbolic. And so then in at the end of the video he comes out as like comes out in this light as each of the three people is in drags and then the first two he, you know, just in your face takes off his wig and rubs his lipstick like like very in your face about this. Which is an interesting change for him at this point because he really had abandoned the, the androgynous stuff. He really hadn't gone with that for a number of years, you know. It was really 73, 74 was when he was stopped doing a lot of that stuff. And so this, so it's in your, so in your face, it's a really interesting video and really, like, I don't know how to sing or play at the time, but you know, it was a big video. Okay. So, uh, it's a good song, but not like a classic, not a great song. I'll give it a point five. Okay. Next up was DJ, um, also a good, but not amazing, outrageously song. Um, another pretty interesting video of him being this DJ, like in this really colorful, over the top, um, studio, but then also him going out on the street, just like actual on the street footage, him like walking around and people like random people slowly realizing, wait, that's David Bowie. No. He's getting, like kissed by random people and stuff. It's like, yeah, and there's sure. people falling around. He starts this kind of impromptu parade down, you know, these kind of seedy streets. It's really interesting. Yeah. So I give that one also a point five. All right. Next up is Yasa Sin, uh, which was only released as a single in like Turkey and I don't know, a few other countries. Um, I'm just giving that one zero points. It was, it's a good song, but it was yeah. weird. I don't know if it even counts as a single because sure. it only came out in some places. Next up is Look Back in Anger, which came out in the U.S. instead of, wait, keeps, I forgot. It came out somewhere instead of one of the other ones. It was the U.S. S single. The fact that it was only U.S. made me first think about doing it, but they made a video for it. So I'm mm, counting this one. Yeah. Makes sense. So another fascinating video because he was, this is really the big, 79 is really the big start of his video period going into 80, especially with Ashes to Ashes. Um, but this one is kind of a riff on The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. No, I know that. If you're not familiar with yeah, it's a great book. It is. Uh, in the book, it's this guy, like a, a painting done of him, and he kind of like squanders his life and lives, you know, horribly and whores it up and does drugs and all kinds of stuff. Right. And his portrait yeah. gets all the horrible stuff happens to him instead of him. And he stays like beautifully and young and perfect looking and well, horrible stuff is on the painting and he ends up murdering somebody and all kinds of stuff oh yeah bad guy and uh this is kind of the opposite of that so instead like it's just this painter sitting around doing nothing and he like starts getting old and aging and looking horrible and so this is Bowie as his painter it's all takes place in this like little small loft apartment so it's a really interesting really neat video and it's another pretty good song so I give that one also 0.5 alright Next up, we have the revolutionary song, Jake, which was a track from the Just a Gigolo soundtrack. Great. Featuring Marlene Dietrich. Dietrich. Jake. Are you ready for a BB Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot all about it. Hit me with it. It's Bowie's most phoned-in single ever. <laughs> ever? Ever. That has to be saying he, something. He phoned in some songs in his day. And, uh, but this is his most phoned in single. It's been suggested, and this is hardly what I believe, <laughs> that he had started making a song and then, uh, decided not to. But the movie's producers desperately wanted the David Bowie song and then, like, sure. track on the soundtrack. A big name. So they took his, like, you know, half formed, like, 
whatever bits and finished it off and released Blob. it. It was only released in Japan. And so again, like the other one, I feel like I made zero, but it's such a, <laughs> it's such a, it's not even bad. It's not like, it's not like thought out well enough to be bad. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's just so forgettable. All he ever sings is, is he only sings la. La, 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 la. What? He doesn't sing any words? He doesn't sing any words. Uh, Which again, makes me think that he wasn't even, like he was not done with the song. He was not, like, gonna go any farther with this. You mean he he usually gets past one syllable when he writes lyrics? (laughs) Usually. Typically? (laughs) Typically. Wow. Wow. I mean, what a genius. Let me take my notes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You don't have notes. I don't have notes. That's why I had to like make the rustling sound with my mouth for <laughs> Anyway, it's full enough. I'm giving it a negative point five. All right, great. I'm happy about that. If it was like a full blown signal released in the UK, it would be a negative one. But it's also it's so forgettable that like it's just you know it's not even bad enough to be a negative one. It's just it's just too forgettable and yeah. mediocre. It's, just, it's offensive on principle. It's offensive on principle. Finally, and completely unrelated to anything else going in 1979, mm-hmm. his record label decided to release a single left over from the Young American Sessions of yeah. 1975. Yeah, why not? Called, or recorded, I don't remember if it was recorded. Throw it out there. It actually was probably recorded in 74. But anyway, called John, I'm Only Dancing. Oh, again. Yeah, that's right. Again. So, <laughs> you may be familiar with his uh, glam era Monster non-album smash. single and hit John I'm Only Dancing John which, which was released as a single twice because he recorded it he re-recorded it in a little bit different version recorded it in 72 and released it as a single recorded again in 73 and released it as a single under yeah. the same name and it's fairly similar right. both of them are great he recorded it again apparently in 74 again. called it John I'm Only Dancing again <laughs> this one's way different though it's a completely funked up yeah. version Okay. So it's him going Young Americans in a soul funk period. It's seven minutes long. It's got a real kick to it, a real funk to real it. Real groove. <laughs> real groove to it, it does. And it's it's a solid <laughs> sign. I'm giving them also a point five. Okay. <laughs> and This is finally, out of control, man. I, well, he released six singles that yeah, year. I know. Was, that was the last single. That was the last one. Like, I'm not blaming you, but you're guilty by association, okay? <laughs> Also, he only wanted to release two of those singles. So well, okay, all right, all right. It's I... record label and that movie he was in. Did the okay, rest. all right, all right, fine. Uh, finally, just a gigolo, the most horribly named movie he was just in. Just a gigolo. Hey, just except just for a oh, shoot, what was that one that was renamed like Shagfest or something? Oh, that was <laughs> awesome. We talked about that. Was Shagadelic or I don't remember. So Shag bad, it's good. <laughs> so uh, bad. Here's some quotes for you. Here's some, some of a uh, of a Jake. Okay, hit me. Quote, a slow-paced movie whose story ends up being incomprehensible. Mm, good, good. That's pretty accurate. I would go That's with a good that. review. <laughs> New York Times says, it's a very bad movie of more than routine interest because of the talent of many of the people involved and because of its literary antecedents. I agree with that. Sure. Also, they say, though the movie is ambitious, it succeeds at virtually nothing. <laughs> oh, ouch. Bowie's had to say this about Just a Jigolo. Okay. I mean, oh God, I really should have known better. <laughs> I think that and really re- sums it up best. This is really good. And he referred to it as, quote, my 32 Elvis Presley movies contained in one. Wow, a lot of Elvis on this on this. Uh, I know, it today. is. Elvis got in here. Elvis, Elvis, sure. Elvis sure. Cooper has entered the building. 
with all that said, I expected it to be way worse. Like, I've heard about this, and I was kind of dreading it, because it was supposed to be, like, Bowie's worst movie. It was oh. supposed to be, just be a train wreck, just awful. It really wasn't. It wasn't, Not like, that bad, difficult huh? to sit through. It wasn't horrible. It was just kind of boring. And, like, I go back to it. It was a slow-paced movie. The story ended up being incomprehensible. The story is kind of confusing. It's just kind of boring, and just there's not a lot there. And it jumps from period to period in a way that doesn't really make sense. And So I don't think it was a complete horrible train wreck. I went through more reviews. Some people liked him. Some people didn't. He doesn't do much in the movie, but he doesn't, even though he's clearly the main character. Okay. It's just a very much like spectator role. So I give it a negative 0.5. I can't go with a full negative one on this one. I don't think it was bad enough to be a full negative one. It's just a, it's just a oh, gigolo. Oh, full negative ones. He's, 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 he's just he's a gigolo. Hey, he's just a gigolo. Like, hey, cut him a full negative one. It's, he's, just, he's just a gigolo. Just cut him some slack, okay? He's just a gigolo. So that does total up to four points, James. Okay. <laughs> All right, you had a little bit of an up and down year, but obviously a very good one. It was mostly not. There was just a couple weird downs. Yeah, a couple just, weird things. Just a gigolo and everything connected to it is the only downs. Okay. <laughs> everything right. else was good. I had a couple weird singles here and there. All right, Jake. I had. I told you I had a nice thing to share with you. This yeah. off the Twitter. Okay. It's off the Twitter machine. Um, Got it. I don't, I don't check Twitter as often as I probably I don't know what Twitter is, but you go ahead. <laughs> and you don't know the password or ever go on Twitter whatsoever. I don't. But our pal SM Wits okay. on Twitter All right, pal. this to say. What does it say? He said the jingle for Bob's Bula Bass is yeah. a work of art. Oh, ho, ho, thanks, SM Wits. Uh, nice nice hey, uh, I'll take credit for that and for continuing to be a Bob Dylan fan, even though my early years were besotted with <laughs> terrible albums. Uh-huh, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Wow, so, hey, thanks. We have gone on long enough. We sure have. No so doubt about it. Everyone turn this off and go read it to their family. Yeah, but you we're didn't probably missing them. You didn't say uh, what year we were doing next, so they can't yet. I was about to, Jake. Oh, I'm sorry. You had it set up, but it made it sound like you were just going to end it, uh, but then you Next didn't. year, we'll be celebrating next episode, we will be celebrating the second year anniversary <laughs> of 2017. Um, I prefer the big two-year anniversary. So I prefer the exciting. first anniversary of the first anniversary. If you <laughs> first please. anniversary of the first anniversary of 2017. <laughs> yeah. The first anniversary of the first anniversary of the first full year in which David Bowie was dead. Uh, I prefer deceased. Deceased. You have microaggressed me with your language, sir. <laughs> you microaggressed, you macroaggressed me by making mm-hmm. fun of the fact that Bowie's dead. I don't remember that. Okay. That was 45 okay. Yeah, that happened. 45 minutes When you listen to this podcast later on, remember the fact <laughs> that you did that. You That's macroaggressed horrible. me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's good. Hey, Jake. And all of you out there everywhere, I will see you later. Hey. I'm Charlie uh, and I love Bowie. I'm Jake and I love Dylan. We'll talk to you later. Bye now.